Welcome to The Author's Tale, a series of casual conversations with prominent New Zealand authors, presented by me, Stephanie Frewen. Last time, we heard part one of Christchurch-based author Kathleen Gallagher's tale. She talked about her childhood, ancestry and connections with New Zealand Māori, and we heard snippets from her plays Mother Tongue and Jacaranda. This episode, Kathleen talks about her radio plays and films. So... You sort of started, and you were inspired by James K. Baxter, the poet, the, and you had some poetry. You know, I, from what I can, you know, read. You obviously, I would imagine, you've got lots of poems that are not bound in a book that are just scattered. I would imagine <laughs> everywhere. Um, and then you've obviously written plays. We've talked about Mother Tongue, amongst others. How many plays have you written? Seventeen. Yeah. And did you start? Do they start those at university or? beforehand was that just also a natural progression for you because you also did drama you were very involved with drama and things as well were you yeah the first play that I worked on was the song of Killy Doo and I worked on that with Blue Ladder Theatre that was Bill uh, Bill Doreen and Carol Woodward and and we they had a group called the Blue Ladder Theatre in Cashel Street and it was upstairs in Cashel Street and um, the song of Killy Doo um, came out of the 191 Springbok tour 1981 Mm. Springbok tour and so that was my very first play that I wrote. And then I did another couple of plays with them. And I did a radio play um, called The Cathedral of Sparrows. And then I and then I worked on Mother Tongue with Women's Action Theatre. Yeah. So that was so Blue Ladder Theatre and then I worked with Women's Action Theatre. Yeah. yeah. And then you've then went on and you've got some that have been um, produced as films. Yeah, so then I um, so then after that I worked on radio I started working on radio plays so yeah. um, I love radio plays I love radio plays yeah, too like it's my, one of my lovely mm. you know and they've stopped producing them in New Zealand which mm. is an absolute tragedy but they used to produce 32 a year mm. and um, and they were going to cut them back and we had a meeting here in this room um, with the then Minister of uh, Culture yeah <laughs> um, and she came in and we said look you they're going to cut them back to 18 or something and we said no you mustn't this is a really important yeah. art form and, and it's it's a place where, where writers learn how to write for film and Absolutely. all sorts of things you know and anyway so she put it back up to 32 it was uh, Marion Hobbs mm-hmm. and she came here in the ministerial car <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and me and Stephen Eldred Grigg and Sue McCauley um, <laughs> met with her about these radio wow. plays yep. um, and so I think, um, you know, I love radio plays. So I've written, I think, about three or four radio plays. Yeah. So Shanti and the Angel was the first one that I got on Radio New Zealand. Yeah. And um, and then I wrote, I think I wrote Charlie Bloom after that. That's in Peace Plays. Yeah. And that became very famous. It, it went over to Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my parents were in Australia travelling and they heard it oh, on the radio yeah. by chance. How brilliant. And, and they started listening to it, and then my father rang me up and he said, you've worked it out, Kathleen, you've cracked it. Yeah. You've, you've actually worked out how to write a play now. <laughs> <laughs> I've written God knows how many plays. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's a really lovely play, uh, Charlie Bloom. It's a wonderful yeah. play. So I've got the script of it, and it's... Yeah. Um, and then these plays have been put on, and then, I did, then I've done a lot of theatre plays yes. too. I worked in Auckland and here yeah. um, in theatre uh, theater plays, and... Um, yeah, I did Hotu. So you can watch on my website, you can watch Hotu, yeah. and you can watch Earthquakes and Butterflies, which, the, which mm. is the play from the book. Yeah. So when, <laughs> when the earthquakes happened, I, I, was, I was writing, I, I remember, um, 
yeah, I was I was writing stuff anyway. I and eventually I Elizabeth O'Connor got me to. Um, she said, "Look, you need to do this as a play. This needs to yeah. be a play, yeah. and we'll do it at the Court Theatre, and we'll, you know." Mm-hmm. So she got me down there, and um, and it was about a year or two after my son had died, and I think she was trying to get a bomb under me to, you know, to write something, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to write anything. It was like my, you know, my blood and guts were gone. I said, "I'm going to write this." Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I started working on it there, and then when I, as I was working on it, I got to the point where I realised it was. I think that it was actually a film, not a play. Mm-hmm. And then I started working on the film, and then I realised it wasn't actually a film; it was actually a novel, and yeah. I had to write the novel. Yeah. And so that was the that came out first as a novel. It's interesting, isn't it, how you sort of go through these stages of development, and as a writer, you go, yeah, it just dawns. You think, no, this isn't this. This, this isn't, isn't the form. Yeah. And so after the novel, then I could write the play. Yeah. So Helen Moran um, wanted to do the play, yeah. and after Elizabeth O'Connor died. Um, because we lost so many people yeah. I lost so many people during the earthquakes yeah. um, so after Elizabeth O'Connor died and I put out the book then Helen Marine said look we're going to do this play because she'd been in the original mm. um, workshopping with Elizabeth mm. and so that and that play is is on my website now we've just put it up but we've got the there's a tech run first and then there's a real one so I'm going to take the tech run off but I love yeah. I love yeah. rehearsals but it's the yeah. tech yeah. run and then there's the real play but yeah. you can actually it's quite good seeing that play because you can see a lot of the ways that that I've worked in theatre in that play, mm-hmm. and also Ho Too is quite a good is a really good play to see because you can see all the different ways yeah. that that I you know that I've worked with different mm-hmm. I worked with lots of you know different directors and yeah. actors and you know and, and you come up with, with all sorts of different yeah. things each time totally you know every, every um, set of eyes is a whole different approach isn't it it is you know and it's fun I mean it's yeah. it's a really you know it's it's quite. You know, it's a cooperative yeah. thing. It's you know, and I love doing that. And yeah. yeah um. So I think what just talking to you has definitely shown me is that you're. I mean, all the people you've mentioned. That's all. It's very so solidly Canterbury. You know, there's so many strong names and personalities that you've worked with. And I guess in yours, you've lived here for how long? How long have you been? Well, well you were raised here, then you then you moved away, but then you came back. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I travelled in um, South America and North America, and also through Indonesia, um, and also around Australia, and lived in Australia. Um, so I lived in Berkeley and Sydney and Melbourne, um, and also I lived in Wellington and. Auckland and Nelson. <laughs> so yeah, lived I've, lived, I've lived in a few different places. Um, I tried to live in Montreal, but it got too freezing in, <laughs> in Peru and Lima because yeah. um, it was sort of like a mirror city of Christchurch. Yeah. Peru is like a mirror of Canterbury. It's quite interesting. And um, yeah, um, so I'm, yeah, I'm here now. Um, so, what keeps you here? Do you think what what drew you back? Like, what is it about this environment? Uh, if you get me the poetry book here. Yeah, um, yeah. Beauty Annie. She looked at him laughing. You're a taxi cab driver. I come from the mountains. You're a taxi cab driver and I can't sing here. You breathe like a city. I sing like the mountains. But I love you Annie. He saw the snow in her eyes. So the... Um, when I lived in Wellington, 
uh, I usually can manage about three years in yeah. <laughs> other places. Yeah. I think that's how long I managed yeah. there. But when I lived there, I used to go to, I used to walk down, go down to Island Bay, and and I used to look at the mountains. Yeah. And um, there was know, something about the mountains are, are very. There's sort of a very unspoken presence yeah. here, mm. um, but I sort of feel like I, I think I feel like I, I feel like I grow old with the mountains, mm. and I grow out of the mountains. Like I'm, yeah. So um, they're just always there, aren't they? Yeah, and I think my connection is with this whole island. Yeah. It's Te Te Waihi Pōnamu. It's mm. Is my connection is with this whole of the island. Like I'm not, I sort of belong to this island, mm. yeah. And it's not, um, and I've got very strong connections to places on this yeah. island, you know, through yeah. whānau and through where I've lived. But mm. there's a lot of old whānau um, experiences that I have got these connections all over yeah. this, yeah. And Is there one place that you... Um, that you really identify, that you can really pin down as being a place that when you get there you go, you just sort of feel like you're completely at home, other than your home, I'm sort of saying really. Is there somewhere else? And, you know? Well, is this, this moonga here is Kahukura, and it's the red cloak of the sky. And and it's the, you know, the red, the Norway's dark. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so this um, is Pukitapu up here, um, but this is this is Kahukura. These this right along this here, yeah. um, and um, I'm not here by accident. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But there are places on this island that I can be. You know, like. Um, Hoi ere, which is the Polaris, um, yeah, yeah the, and that's Ngāti Kuia, uh, that's that we have tribal affiliation mm. with, That's and I've always mm. felt like that when I've been there mm. from when I was taken when I was really young, mm. and so I have places like that all around this, mm. the all around the yeah. island, you know, like, and, and down in, yeah. um, you know, the old part of South Canterbury, mm. and that yeah. was your island. Yeah, it's the island. It's the island in the sun. Let's take a moment to listen to a clip from her film Tau Te Māori, Breath of Peace. It was with this film that through a series of interviews with groundbreaking New Zealand peace activists, which chronicles New Zealand's past becoming known as a nuclear-free and anti-war country, that Kathleen won the 2004 Sonia Davies Peace Award. In this clip, the interview is with Pauline Tangiora. Once you push people off the land of their birth, you can't make an attachment to another land unless you do it by choice. People choose to migrate, that's fine. But people of the land who, whose life has been in that land for hundreds of thousands of years, you just don't go and pick them up and say, you can, uh, you know, you can get some McDonald's down the road or something. I've been a long-time member of the Māori Women's Welfare League and... Um, I believe that that was a very strong for our Māori women, and I still do, that uh, 
Māori Women's Welfare League is Tato Tato, you know, is, is peace. And uh, stands for families, and you cannot have peace on a family without peace. My husband John Tangiora, he said to me, you know, this maybe is time for Māori to enter into the international field. We have something to offer, and he said especially Māori women have something to offer. That's how it actually started and went on the peace caravan across America. And there were supposed to be eight of us on the caravan, eight Indigenous women. And um, uh, when I got to New York, well, I'm, I don't know what happened, but there was only one. That was me. And so um, she was a very, very wonderful person, this lady that, that um, set this up. And we went from one state to the next. People were wonderful. They gave you time on radio. One newspaper gave us a front page almost of interviews because they wonder why this crazy Māori woman was going around in a caravan. Uh, she's a feminist, a women's feminist caravan, and yet she's a grandmother, she's a mother. And So as we went through, and then we got to Big Mountain. Big Mountain is where all, a lot of the mining for uranium was being done. And they built a new village called Flagstaff to shift the Indian families into this little village called Flagstaff. Well, naturally, the people didn't want to shift into the village. These flash houses with stoves and what have you, they wanted to remain on their land, but their land was being abused for the mining. And um, so we went up to the mountain and uh, and to meet uh, the different tribes that were gathering together for the Sundance. And... Uh, well, for three days I sat on the log outside and and my friend, she said, um, well, look, I'm going to go and watch Sundance. I said, no, we've been asked to wait here and here we wait. And she was getting frustrated and every morning at sunrise I went and sat on the log. And on the fourth morning, um, the leader came out and said, would you come and say the prayers this morning? And I think that was a challenge for me, but coming from a Maori background where you sit for days, you mightn't talk until you, you somebody is ready to talk. And uh, and I heard about all their pains in the roundhouse, and, and as I more I went south, the more that you could see the damage that the mining had done for mining of uranium from way back in in the 40s right through to 50s and so on, and, and it still continues today. So your latest. Well, is it your latest? No, the yeah. the sacred place. Yeah, that's Rohikore Poripo. Yeah. yeah. So this is now a movie, a yeah. film. And what I love about this book is it is just purely exactly what the people said. That's right. Yeah. So there's been no editing, really, of... The, you've done the interviews with people who are, who are the kaitianga? Is it kaitiaki. The, yeah. Kaitiaki, yeah. who are looking after and restoring the swamplands, the wetlands of New Zealand. And, I mean, I watched... Um, I actually watched a terrific doco um, done by Simon Reeves and, and he went to the Lake District and part of it was he, they're doing the same thing there as well, restoring the wetlands because it is such a fundamental and important place for everybody globally, just mm-hmm. how incredibly important that. So I think this is wonderful um, that you've gone and you've done this. What a project, how long did it take you? That took about a year and a half, yeah. um, which is sort of long for me, um, but usually it took longer because of COVID. Yeah. Maybe like t- it was sort of stretched out to two years in the end, yeah. I think, because of the COVID. Um, 
and also the filming now is being stretched. It'll be longer than what I um, anticipated. Like than what we anticipated, we would have had. We would have been doing, doing cinematic distribution now, and yeah. we've it's all been put off for yeah. about six months. Yeah. So as far as process goes, because there were some people who were really interested in how did this, how did it get to the film point? Point did did you have an idea? I want to do interviews. I want this is this is something that interests me. I'm, I know I'm going to interview people who are looking after it. Oh, I'll write those interviews down. And that, I mean, how did how did the process happen? Well, it went the opposite way from that. Is um, I was invited to make a film on ah. on it, yeah, and I've been working with water. I worked with water on Water Whisperers, Tangaroa, yeah. and then I worked on it, Seven Rivers Walking, Haere Marere, and I, and water sort of, water sort of got hold of me, you know, and um, so that was the third film that I worked on on water, and um, yeah, so I was, um, I was approached by the International Wetland Conference, International Wetlands Conference, to do a film on it, yeah. and then different councils came in and they supported it, and you know, so we got different people came in to support it. So we decided to go ahead with that film, yeah. um, even though then it was it was sort of delayed in different places because of the um, lockdowns. Um, but so so we were making the film. And as we were making it, I sort of realised that I thought the interviews were, were very precious. There's some very precious interviews in there. And I thought that they should be recorded just what everyone said. Because when you make a film, you know, a film is only like 60 pages and yeah. that book is like 300. Yeah. Um, so when you make a film, you need to make it as a whole. And so that it, it sort of, mm. it's got its own shape and it, you know, it, it sings, you know. And I make it with the musicians as well who, who sing it. Yeah. So it's actually... The film is made to be heard. You can actually watch my films with your eyes shut because I've made them so you can yeah. <laughs> you can watch them on radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so the film is made um, like that, so it's got its own integrity. Um, that book is a full record of yeah. everything that everybody said. Mm. Um, and... I sort of feel it'll be one of those books that... Um, it's like a reference book. Yeah, exactly. It's I like a reference book. And I think in years to come, hopefully they'll be able to say, look back and they'll go, thank goodness we listened. Yeah. Thank goodness we took note of what these people had noticed and were telling us. Yeah, because as I've been making films over the last 20 years, um, you know, people die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and the record is gone. And the full record of what they've said, you know, so even though a part of their thing might fit in the film, there might be a whole, there's a wholeness in each of yeah. the interviews that belongs to yeah. that knowledge in that place. Yeah. And so that's where it belongs. Mm. It's not sort of, mm. yeah. Um, so I, I've, you know, I mean, I've got other films that I should probably do books from, um, like Sky Whispers, Rangi Nui is a really yeah. important film. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I think there are other books that mm. should be made out of the films, and I haven't done that. It's just it's just another thing to do, and I'm, yeah. Well, it's time too, isn't it? it I mean, well, it, it took a year and a half. Or well, know. that was the film and the book. Yeah. That was the whole thing. That was the yeah. film and the book and yeah. the launching and the New Zealand yeah. Film Festival, yeah. and you know, there's a whole, yeah. there's a whole. <laughs> yeah. We'll end this episode of the Author's Tale with a clip from Kathleen's film Earth Whisperers. It premiered in 2009 and was shot by acclaimed cameraman Alan Bollinger and Mike Single. 
It is a documentary showing us forward-thinking New Zealanders who prove that by changing the way we treat the earth, we can heal our environment. This clip features Jim O'Gorman, a soil health teacher and an organic farmer on his property at Kakanui, North Otago. soil underneath those trees, you'll find that you've got a really deep mat of rich, earthy-smelling soil underneath here that will almost grow anything. It's lovely and black. There's, there's absolutely no reason for anyone in the world to be hungry. Absolutely none. Goodness me, I can create five crops a year and the soil's healthier at the end of the season than it was at the beginning. When I first arrived here, the soil was like that, that hard. And even if I jump on that fork, it isn't going to go in. And that was what the whole place was like. That was what was left to me after the chemical farmers had left. After you've been spending a little bit of time on the soil, and I can take that out there and go down again. And that's taken only two years to go there suddenly your plants have a lot more depth of soil in which their roots can play. It's all right here in our hands and we just don't have to go anywhere. Like the leaves and the branches and the twigs and so on are the driver for keeping the soil healthy. It's all given to me by the locals in the village. I encourage them to drop all of their Woody, woody waste off their hedge clippings. Turn up in the trailer and chuck it over the side. Laugh away there, God, you're an idiot. And I say, well, look, hang on, it costs you $24 to dump it. There's wear and tear on the roads. You've got to hire your trailer and you're going to drive in and out to, to dump the stuff. And up to 65% of our dumps are full of green waste. What a ridiculous thing to do. This bed was made a week or so before and all we've got is this lovely, lovely woody mulching material which nature will take down into the soil over a short period of time. I've never seen soil that is, is so, uh, as I describe it, hungry. I can put um, all sorts of stuff on here and within a matter of just a few weeks, it's assimilated. The soil loves it. This is pretty much how most people garden. They'll dig away here and take their weeds out. And they'll lift the weeds out, give them a good shake, chuck them away and look what you're throwing away that's all your microorganisms gone in one hit whereas if we cut it off as I've done here but look at the difference look at the structure of this it's hanging there on the fork because those roots are still in there those roots are what's holding it together that's what creates your structure the, the intent was to be able to create a garden from nothing with nothing because that's exactly what a lot of the world has, nothing. We assume that we can reach out and grab any 
uh, any resource that we need. Well, it's not like that for a lot of people in the world. They don't have resources. They don't have anything. And so this place was designed to be able to be, and it has been created from nothing with nothing. It's all hand tools. There's no machines here at all. You don't need a lot of tools. And this is where we're going terribly, terribly wrong with our production, is that we want to have thousands of acres all run by one person sitting in a tractor. It's often said uh, that the best fertiliser for, uh, for a farmer is his footprints on the land. You've been listening to part two of The Author's Tale with Christchurch author Kathleen Gallagher. A special thanks to her film production company, Wick Candle Films, for permission to use clips from her films Kaul Māori, Breath of Peace and Earth Whisperers. You can stream these and more of Kathleen's films for free from her website, wickcandle.co.nz. You will also find details about her latest film, Rohe Koreporepo, The Swamp, The Sacred Place, which premiered at the New Zealand International Film Festival in 2021. Next time, you'll hear Kathleen talking about her most recent novel, Anangahua Gold, and her extreme connection to Aotearoa. Thank you for listening to The Author's Tale, and remember to subscribe for future episodes. The Author's Tale is produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. It's engineered at Plains FM, and is made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Communities Scheme. <laughs>